0: Welcome back to I Have to Ask with Elizabeth Hess, part of the Champagne Showers Podcast Network. Today's guest is state representative and recently crowned, quote, best politician of the decade, Carol Ammons. Good morning, Carol. Well, good morning. Thank you for having me. Let's back up to before you were in the Illinois legislature, before you were on the Urbana City Council or the Champaign County
1: Board. Tell me where you grew up. I actually grew up in the northern part of the state. I grew up in Joliet. I went to elementary and high school there. And I moved to Chicago about 19 or 20 years old. I lived in Chicago, worked and ran my own business for almost a decade there before I moved downstate. And what
0: jobs did you hold before you became an elected official?
1: I only held a couple jobs in this area anyway. Uh, I ran my own business for about eight years in Chicago. My mother became ill and she retired at Rantoul. It's how I got to this area. It's a fascinating story as I think back on it. But my mother was uh, ill and I came to help her for about a year. She had a serious heart surgery. And I began to work because I had been working with at-risk communities in Chicago. So I began to work at, at Chanute with uh, system-involved juvenile males. So that's an interesting phenomenon. That was part of my work when I came to Champaign-Urbana at Chanute Transition Center which was owned by Youth Services Institute, which is a quasi-third-party DOC juvenile system. So I worked there in education for about four years, which is where I happened to meet the love of my life. We met in Rantoul, both of us having a passion to work with people who really needed assistance and new direction. We met at Chenu Transition Center, uh, both of us committed to the ideal, I came from Chicago working in communities of color primarily that uh, suffered from disinvestment. And so because of that, a lot of my work began With advocacy work, Um, Aaron and I both worked together when we first came here with the Unit 4 School and Dr. Dolores Henry at the time, who was the superintendent. Then I moved to work with Chanute Transition Center. I also worked a little bit with the Boys and Girls Club, and and I was the program director there for a couple of years. Most of my work has been nonprofit management. That's really what my focus is. My heart is really in mission work, and so I've been able to tie my mission work philosophy into my political work. And that is what I enjoy doing.
0: What a perfect transition. You've represented the 103rd district since January of 2015. You had a primary challenger in your first house race and Speaker Madigan backed him, but you won. How do you look past that race and just move on?
1: Because the needs of the community are more important than my personal feelings about a political race. Campaigns are campaigns, but governance is a whole other set of circumstances. And so in order for us to be successful in Champaign-Urbana, and I think successful in the state, you really need people that understand the difference between a campaign and the difference between governance. Once I was elected and took the seat, all of our focus has been on not just shining the light in Champaign-Urbana, and the great things that are happening here, but really making those great things manifest all over the state. And so the policies that I work on are broader than just Champaign-Urbana. We've been all over the state, working on higher education issues, working on economic justice issues, climate issues, environmental issues. These things are so important to me that it doesn't matter that they're not in Champaign-Urbana for me. It really is about good governance. It didn't take you long to get on the radar of Bernie Sanders. How did that come about? It's an interesting story. (laughs) I was uh, going on about my business and my great little world of politics, really working on the issues that I believe really undergird who I am as a person. And so all of the things around access to higher education, climate justice, access to jobs and training. These are things that are really, I think, in the fabric of my DNA. I came across him because a local activist organizer sent me an email. And in that email, she says, hey, we're doing this thing for this guy named Bernie Sanders, and we want him to run for president. And would you come out and support? And I said, I don't know who that is. I have no idea who that is. So she continued to email me. A few more times after that, I received emails from her. I didn't pay a whole bunch of attention because again, I am headlong into criminal justice reform at this time. Another friend reaches out to my husband and says, hey, you guys should come to this event. It's about this guy, Bernie Sanders, running for president, and I think you guys are truly aligned politically. We accepted, went to the event, and that was the first time that I said, okay, how how did I miss this guy, right? (laughs) Although I got six emails that I didn't pay attention to. And I looked at his actual record. So a lot of people don't take the time to say, let me go see who this is. I did actually pull his uh, project vote record and look at the issues that he worked on and said, wow, I I probably should know who this is. That was the first time that he really jumped onto my radar in a way that I said, I need to investigate this guy. Everything that I found from going to Highlander Folk School, which most people don't know what that is, but Highlander Folk School is really like the community school of education for organizers of the civil rights movement. And to find his picture and him literally in the picture sent a strong message to me that this is a person who's not just talking about this, but has been working on this for the entirety of my life. I should probably work with him. So you are behind him again for the second round? I'm 100% Bernie Sanders. Do you have a backup or a second choice? Well, you know what? We have to make a decision for the best representation that we can get, not just because we need a Democrat or a Republican. That's not really what my focal point is. My focal point is that we need a person who has a demonstrated track record of implementing and fighting for the things that they said they want to do. That is the gold standard, and so I'm standing with the gold standard. If we have to, by any stretch of the imagination, have another person other than the gold standard, we're going to push that person as close to that standard as possible, and I will absolutely be voting Democratic. As I mentioned
0: earlier, you were on the Urbana City Council, you were on the Champaign County Board, and now that you're in the Illinois House, what would you say has been the most partisan board that you've represented?
1: Actually, I wouldn't describe any of them in that way. I think people are in so many ways, get caught in their party affiliations more so than the good governance structure. We are looking for the good governance structure. So everybody, meaning political body, a governance body that I've served on, the city council, county board, even the state house, there are differences in views between these two parties. But sometimes those things can cross over and for the sake of good governance, that's what needs to lead. And so each one of them, I would describe them totally different, not necessarily from the structural partisan viewpoint, but is it good governance? When we were under Governor Ronner unfortunately, his ideology was what drove him, and that ideology did not align with the state of Illinois, and therefore we could not move majority of his policies that that's the example that I would use as far as, eh, it's not just Democrat or Republican. It took us a little time to get the Republican caucus in the House to join us in dealing with this issue of governance. And that is, I believe, the outcome that people want to see. Since you joined the State House,
0: you've worked on too many pieces of legislation to count. Your fingerprints are all over the Muhammad Aquifer. Thank you for that. You helped lower the cost of phone calls from Illinois prisons to name just a couple,
1: what hard-fought piece of legislation would you say you are most proud of? We've done, I believe, some really excellent work. But I can tell you that one of the areas that really took a lot of pushing back on, again, in this case, it was Democratic members that I was pushing, was the Temp Worker Bill. The temporary in industry, in so many ways, provides a good service. But in other ways, there are some really unscrupulous actors that create conditions, mostly for women that are untenable. And that legislation was going to bring accountability to the temporary working industry. And for so long, they were literally just doing mostly what they wanted to do, taking advantage of workers, taking advantage of women, primarily undocumented community members, had unbelievable stories of wage theft. So that was one of those bills that I really could not negotiate away The substance of the bill. And so we literally fought tooth and nail to pass that legislation to improve the conditions for people who don't have stable employment, which is another reason why I'm supporting Bernie Sanders because we need people to have stable, dependable training and employment that will pay them a wage that they can actually live on in the United States. That's truly what we need. And so that bill really took, I think. A lot of stamina, a lot of convincing of members that this was the right thing to do, but also really pushing back on the industry. I, I can recall, if I have a second to share this story, Please. that there was a fundraiser that was going to take place, a, a meet and greet kind of thing that the temp industry was hosting. And this is during the time that I'm trying to work on this bill. So I got wind of this. I sent a personal letter to every member. Of the Illinois House and told them not to attend the fundraiser. This was really important. They didn't. So now, why is that important? Because we don't want lobbyists to believe, as we are in this phase of ethical crises in Springfield again, we don't want our lobbyists to believe that they can just pay people off and get them to ignore the desires and the needs of the working class people in our communities. We didn't hold back anything to get that That bill passed, and we were successful in that. And the industry realized that no, she's a little more formidable than we thought she was. We thought we could just kind of maneuver her around, and that didn't work. And we passed that bill, and we did uh, what should have been done a long time ago to address the conditions that many people in our community were working under.
0: Was there bipartisan support for
1: it? It was. Every bill that we've done, except one, has had bipartisan support, and we can talk about that too. Well, now I'm curious, What one doesn't have bipartisan support. (laughs) Well, uh, I introduced in the last session a judicial reform bill, which is House Bill 97. That bill was specifically targeted to the judiciary in Champaign County in our circuit that would diversify the bench by not just party, but by representation of women to be given an opportunity for real to be judges in our communities. That bill was not supported by any Republicans at all, because they thought that, A, we should not be doing this, but that is the authority of the legislature. B, that that we should get permission somewhat from the judiciary branch in order for us to make this change. I disagreed with that. And that I didn't give them enough time, and that was a strategy. <laughs> I remember when you were fighting for that. Is it dead or is it ongoing? Actually, it's ongoing, and what we've done is we've moved it on to the Senate, And uh, there will be some changes that we will take up for the incoming spring session around that bill. And we will actually be looking at the redistricting of all of the judiciary for the entire state.
0: Let's move on to you brought him up, your husband, Aaron. Uh, Following the election to the House of Representatives, the city council appointed Aaron to fill your vacated seat. And since then, of course, he's Champaign County clerk. Whether or not Aaron would be elected was not a slam dunk, but you knew all along he would rise to the occasion. Tell me how you've seen him grow since he took over this job
1: that has been an amazing process to watch. And I'm literally watching somewhat as an outsider, not understanding every single thing that's happening in the clerk's office day to day. But what I've seen in him individually is a dedication that, I think he exudes in everything that he does, whether it's writing poems, poetry, whether it is mentoring young people, facilitating meetings in community group settings. He carries around the code, meaning it is a big red book, and it is probably five, six hundred pages of code in relationship to everything electoral in that office. And he is literally studying this thing like it's a Bible. He's so committed to the work of the clerk's office. He's committed to the idea of every single eligible voter getting the opportunity to to vote. He has done tax town halls to explain to other taxing bodies how their taxes work, who does what at the county level, things that have never taken place since I've been here. He's so committed with his time, his energy, his passion, his love for people. If there's a problem in the office, he will go to the counter himself to help calm the situation. I mean, literally hands on. That is what we needed in the clerk, but we needed a clerk who would go to the university and say, we want This space for our students to be able to vote, they should not go up to the fourth floor. He has been on the front line of every single reform necessary to make that office not just accessible, but responsive to the public. And even when there's a criticism, he takes it and he says, I am going to correct that. Whatever that thing is, he is 100 percent on board with making sure that it becomes the best thing that can happen for the public. And so I've just watched him go to work at 7.30 a.m., like every day. He gets up (laughs) really early, he's ready, he goes to work, he's there all day, He is in the office. He is available. People call him on his cell phone. I just have never seen that level of commitment outside of we know the work that we do in our office. But that office is truly um, making a name for itself, I think, through the state. You're both highly visible, both
0: elected officials. People criticize both of your offices. Have you just developed thick skin? How do you
1: not get defensive on his behalf? I don't take anything as an internalized personal attack. I don't take it that way. Even if a person says something that they intend for that purpose, I don't take it that way. I'm always looking for what is it that the person is saying? Is there something I can really do to fix this? Or or is that out of my wheelhouse? Perhaps it is out of my wheelhouse and I need to leave it where it is. I just don't respond to those kind of things. I try to train my staff in the same way. I'm trying to train my mother-in-law who responds a lot differently than Erin and I. She, she has the best intentions, but she will definitely say, don't talk about my babies kind of stuff. You know? But I do enjoy people whether they say something that is good or not necessarily good, or, you know, we get letters from people sometimes that says, take me off your mailing list. I don't like this though. I don't like that. And we do, we just follow through on whatever the ask is. And if they decide to reach out to us at a future time, we respond to them. What drove Aaron to even run for that job? So he and I both are what we consider students of the civil rights movement. We are both committed to that. We study it as a laser-focused point, trying to find solutions to problems. And so when we realized what was happening at the county level, I said to him, I said, you know, I think you should run for county clerk. And he said, I don't know how the office works. I said, but you'll learn. Mm And I said, but there's no one else more passionate about electoral processes than you. No one. And no one else that I know of that will have the level of commitment to the office, meaning you can find me there, you can call me there, I'll be there to solve the problems of the people of Champaign County. And he thought about it and didn't feel that he really thought he wanted to do it. And I said, oh, nope, nope. So I told Michelle, who's my chief of staff at the time, I said, no, we need to get Aaron to run for county clerk. And so then she and I both met with him and said, hey, this is where we think you should run for county clerk. And he said, okay, let me think about it. He thought about it for about, maybe about a couple of weeks or so. And I kept asking him, you know, did you think about it? Did you decide? Finally, he said... Yeah, I think I should do it. I said, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to reach out to a consultant that I know and just kind of get an initial conversation going for you. And from that point, off to the races. What aspect of social injustice or inequality would you say fires you up the most? I would say economic disinvestment from communities. I understand that a person who has the ability to earn a living and take care of their own needs Every person wants to do that. Every person in our community doesn't exactly have that opportunity, and I'm consistently working on ways to deal with those kind of issues. We worked this year uh, in our last budget cycle to provide training dollars at Parkland College so they can create a program that will get people into $15 an hour or above wage jobs. That was the important part of that money because people needed to be able to move from one level to the next level, but they needed the training to do that. And so that's why we focused on the community college level to put the dollars in their hands, to create the program that will help them get to that next level. We've received by way of Facebook, everything comes by Facebook nowadays, messages from people who are literally enrolled in that program today. And so it just really touches my heart when I hear from the person who's probably this person was probably in his 40s who said I'm going to enroll in that program and thanked me for even creating an opportunity for him to do that. I think that that's that's the reason why we do what we do, but to me the anti-poverty measures are the most important thing that we can do. Yes, criminal justice reform is important, environmental justice is really important, but if we can't move people economically, then we'll have all these other social factors that come to criminal justice and environmental issues.
0: And I know you're busy. I just have a couple more questions for you. But along those lines, you work on the expungement and you work on making life better for those who have been incarcerated or have records or just need help
1: getting back on their feet. Talk about why that work is so important. I think that is the best public safety work we can do. If we can look at ways to A, keep people out of the system, But those who may end up having to pay a debt to society and go to a prison in Illinois, they are going to return. 85% of them are going to return to our communities. We have to make sure that their return is different than it was when they went in. So providing them a way to clean up their records so that they can get gainful employment to take care of themselves and their families so that they don't feel that they have to go to the streets to earn on the illicit markets, that's important for us to really create public safety. People need economic opportunity and stability. They need housing. So if we do the re-entry work and provide the pathway, not the barriers, in the 80s they created all of these barriers and now we're trying to undo some of the legislative measures that created the barriers that didn't keep us safe at all. They gave us a false sense of safety. We want to correct that and make a true reentry avenue for people who are coming back to our communities in a way that they can really, really become a part of the community and not stigmatized or driven back to the illicit market. We really want them to be working, gainfully employed. We want them to earn enough to pay their own rent (laughs) so we don't have to subsidize all these things. That's truly public safety. Investing in those kind of programs give us the return on investment tenfold to what it would if we just invested in penalizing them and continuing that path.
0: You and I were born in the same year as was Betsy Londrigan, so we're old enough to remember that
1: the Reagan policies did not exactly... work. Yeah, people are looking back at that time saying, really, what were we thinking, right? People thought that that was the best thing to do at the time. Well, we have seen, by way of research data that proves that that's not the best path and that's not the best way. And so I spent a lot of my time in the General Assembly doing what I consider offense and defense legislative measures. On one end, we are protecting our community from legislation that will take us back to that Reaganomic era that didn't produce the results we wanted, the war on drug kind of era and philosophy. We protect ourselves from that. We fight against legislation like that to make sure that it doesn't pass in the General Assembly. And we also provide uh, all the offensive strategy, ways to improve community, investing in community colleges, investing in our four-year colleges, providing job training opportunities, really giving housing a real look at, right, can people really afford to live where they are? And if not, what do we do about that? And do we provide child care so that people can really get to work, right? Can they be where they're supposed to be when they're supposed to be without worrying about the safety of the children? All of these things are part of a holistic community measure that we believe provides true public safety. And so that's my, that's my goal. My goal is always looking at the how do I make this actually a real safe thing?
0: Well, I have to ask for a minute. It was rumored you would run for the US House against Congressman Rodney Davis. You have goals. Is that one of them one day?
1: You know, I think that my ultimate goal is to be where my community really wants me to be at the time that they want me to be there. What I get a lot right now is would you help us <laughs> in the State House uh, meet these obligations? Can we make higher education truly affordable? That's something that I'm working on as we speak, right? Initiatives that will get us to affordability for higher education. Maybe it should be free. I think it should be, but others may not agree. But can we walk our way there? I'm looking at ways to, to round out my legislative experience. And when the time comes and my community says, okay, it's time for us to do something else. We really need this kind of representation. That message will be very, very clear.
0: Before I let you go, could you do me a favor? Could you talk to my representative, Brad Halbrook, and tell him that I like Illinois to be just one cohesive state? I don't need it to break off into two?
1: Yeah, you'd be surprised that I've already done that. (laughs) I actually have talked to uh, Representative Halbrook about that. And just in his defense, I do understand that there are some concerns. There's some concerns that we experience outside of Cook County. And so believe me, I'm running that as well. But I suggested to him that the best method by which to do it is not to create a separatist kind of ideology. That is where the danger comes in. And so I'm hoping that in the next few months, we will start coalescing around this idea of making Illinois truly one state. And I just as a side, I, I make sure that if I'm going to vote for legislation that is specific to Cook County, it really need to be only Cook County. It needs to be specific to Cook County, meaning it doesn't exist in the rest of the state. But if it's a benefit to Cook County, it should be a benefit for the whole state. And so he and I both agree on that. So we will we will work in the in the next few days on, I hope, some cohesive legislation that he and I both couldn't agree on. You're such a diplomat. Thank you for listening to I Have to
0: Ask with Elizabeth Hess, part of the Champagne Showers Podcast Network. Representative Carol Ammons, thank you so
1: much for your time today. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it.